Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We're going to do our our teaching and our worship kind of together. And so we'll be sort of up and down more than a Catholic church this morning. It'll be great. We're going to sing. We're going to teach. We're going to sing. I don't know if you heard... Uh, that hockey season has started in Canada. No, you have. Yeah, okay. I have a bit of an extra incentive this year because I was lucky enough to be invited to uh, my first ever fantasy league hockey team. I get to manage a fake team. Quiet, Danita. And uh, look, I don't even want to complain. I don't want to use this platform to complain about how this whole app works and how Glenn took one of my top six defensemen, took advantage of my ignorance and uh, stole one of my, look, I don't even want to get into it this morning. Um, he knows what he did. I said, I don't want to get into it this morning. So, um, <laughs> but as a hardcore Euler fan and uh, my wife is even, hey, pa 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 pa. You won't be booing when they have the Stanley Cup hoisted in Maple Leaf Gardens. No. Um, Even my wife, you know, who's usually asleep by 845, is staying up to watch these 10 o'clock Eastern time zone Oiler games. And uh, so, you know, there's some fandom there. Look, Toronto is hockey crazy. I realize that. But the Oilers are what we call a a big fish in a little pond. There's not a lot else to do in Edmonton. And so it's constant sellouts. Players are under the microscope. This is what a typical fan looks like. And um, check out Check out this fan art of Newmarket's own uh, coming up. Yeah. Uh, now, I want to read something to you that reminds me of that sort of unbridled fandom. And it's actually from Psalm 96. Listen to this from the message. Sing to God a brand new song. Earth and everyone in it sing. Sing to God, worship God, for God is great and worth a thousand hallelujahs. Bravo, God, bravo. Everyone join in the great shout, encore, in awe before the beauty, in awe before the might. Bring gifts and celebrate. Everyone worship. Get out the message. God rules. Let's hear it from the sky with earth joining in and a huge round of applause from the sea. Let wilderness turn cartwheels, animals come dance, put every tree of the forest in the choir, an extravaganza before God as he comes. I, I think that blows away any playoff game, any Stanley Cup parade. That 
That's worship. The word worship comes from this old Anglo-Saxon word that literally means worth-ship. That's not my speech impediment. That's worth-ship. And it means just what it says to give honor to, to someone or something. And when it comes to worshiping God, what is the appropriate amount of worth or honor? Doesn't he deserve an all-out, no-holds-barred, raucous party? We're in this series called We Are Knack. It's a, it's a vision for our church, not only what it means to be a vibrant, healthy representation in Newmarket, but I, I would argue what it means to be the big C universal church, the real church that Jesus had in mind. And uh, it's the kind of church that he called into being. And we've been digging into one of the clearest pictures of the church being the church in scripture. Let me read it again from Acts 2. It's, it's the, the, the first church, the Jesus-centered church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when it says they devoted themselves to the the breaking of bread and, and prayer and gathering, it meant that they were in people's homes. They were in the temple courts. They were worshiping together. And I wish I had time to take you through all the scriptures on what scripture tells us worship does to a life. But here's just a couple. First, I I believe it orders your life around God. The the experience of worship itself, it it focuses us. It brings us into alignment like nothing else. Like it, it takes a life that can be seduced into thinking that all there is is the horizontal. Uh, and reminds us that there is a vertical, right? It, 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 if you get focused on just the temporal, inflation, Russia, gas prices, worship reminds us that there's something eternal going on. If you're tempted to focus on just what you see with your eyes, worship reminds you that there's this whole other unseen spiritual world at work, something you could say that's even more real than what we can just observe. So worship is this powerful memo to our souls that says, look up. Some of you may remember those old British World War II posters that said, keep calm and carry on. And they had a bit of a resurgence a few years ago. You know, as Christians, our logo might be, look up and press on. Fix your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews says, you know, for your, your salvation is near, Luke says. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Second thing worship does is it helps you encounter and experience God. That's really what we're after, an, an encounter with God. Few things will bring you 
closer to God, more in touch with God, give you more of a sense of experiencing and interacting with God than through worship. Because that's what worship is designed for, to direct you to God, to invite you into God's presence. In fact, Jesus promised us that when we worship, God will show up. Look at, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. God is, is present in the gathered community of worship. It's amazing. God dwells in the praises of his people, it says in Psalms. I, I, I don't know if it can be explained scientifically. I just know it's true. And a third benefit of worship is that it helps us respond to God. Worship is one of the most personal, sincere, authentic ways to respond to God relationally. It's designed for you to say things to God that you really need to say to him. Imagine you're in a close, intimate relationship with someone and you never tell them how you feel about them, um, how much you care about them. Like, it wouldn't be much of a relationship, would it? Uh, like, like the great philosopher Rod Stewart once sang, have I told you lately that I love you? Uh, if it's your spouse, I hope, I hope that's often, daily. If it's your kids, I hope it's often. Our God, how often do we tell him? Worship is when we turn to God and say, have I told you today? Because I do. I love you. And then there's the payoff that worship brings of just raw spiritual encouragement and energy and gathering. And, and, and we're, other, we're with other people declaring our collective feelings towards him. Um, could we just take a moment through song just to unabashedly say, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. You're so good. And uh, the old things have passed away. You remain the same. Will you stand with me and let's just express our love to Jesus. I've passed away Your love has stayed The same Amen. Please be seated. And I just want to remind us that something so obvious, but worship is not about what you get out of it. You know this. It's all about what God receives. That's everything. Worship is about giving him worth. It's about giving him honor and praise. It's, it's giving him what is due him. And uh, if that means our respect, our love, the glory, that's who it's for. If, if you walk out of a worship service and say, well, I didn't really get much out of that. Well, it, it wasn't supposed to be about you. If you are evaluating a worship service by what you get out of it, then that means the, ob the object of worship is, well, I guess it's you. And that's called idolatry. 
And as your pastor, I don't want you to drift into idolatry. It's very unsafe territory. If you have made yourself the object of worship, then you have made yourself a small g God, and it's not about you. And the bigger question is whether God was honored, was God glorified, was his name hallowed? And if God was, then watch out, because a worshiping church is a dangerous church. And I mean that in the, in the best sense of the word. You know, when you hear of Connor McDavid or Michael Jordan or Tom Brady being described as dangerous, it means they can never be underestimated, never overlooked or ignored. And so folks, when we come together as worshipers and with those around us are, become a worshiping church, we become dangerous in the best sense because worship makes it about God. So it means that we are willing to take risks and make sacrifices no one else would because worship lifts our vision up and we gain an eternal vertical perspective that is higher and deeper than we could possibly have otherwise. You, you get dangerous because you've opened up your soul to his whispers, his promptings, his leadings. When, when you become a worshiper, you become a threat in ways that, that strike fear into the forces of evil. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. I, I don't pretend to understand it all. I just, I just know something happens in the spiritual world that does offensive battle for the kingdom of light. Let me give you an example. It's one of the most incredible stories in the early church. It doesn't even need my pithy commentary. All I'm going to do is just read it, and you'll see the power of worship and the result of worshiping a powerful God. Uh, and like the passage we've been digging through in this series, it's from the book of Acts in the New Testament. Great story of the early church. One day as we were praying down to the place of prayer. When, sorry, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. This is Paul and Silas. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her and instantly it left her. Now her master's hopes of wealth were shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. They said, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. They were just out money. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. 
But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they had all believed in God. Not bad for an impromptu worship in a jail cell. No sound system, no lights, no PowerPoint, no instruments. Frank alluded to it in his testimony, but at some time I'd like him to share the full story of, of being a prisoner and finding Jesus and among other prisoners singing a cappella, these old hymns. I will cherish the old rugged cross for long. Um, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. I don't know how the prison choir sounded, but God was in that place. There was something powerful happening. See what happens when, when they chose to become dangerous through worship. Something happens. Praise is a weapon. Will you stand with us and maybe we'll do a little battle in the unseen world. Amen. Bless you as you're seated. So, if the church is to be a, a worshiping church, that means you are to be a worshiper. It means that we are to be worshipers. This was, it's what God's calling us to do and be. And, and, and what does that mean? I, I'd say two things. And if you're, if you're just checking us out, um, just file this away when you make a decision to follow Christ, because this is critical. Uh, it's simple, but it's important. First, I'd say be be present for the gathered worship experiences of your church. Um, yes, we are called to be private worshipers, but we're also called to join with other believers to be public worshipers through this part of the life of the church. So show up. Are, are you taking your sweet time to get to church on Sunday morning because you consider the singing time sort of the, like the coming attractions at the movie theater? Um, more like the opening act of a concert, perhaps even purposely waiting until, you know, close the songs are being over before you take a seat. Now, if you, if that's you, let me just save you some emails because I understand the reasons, okay? We have settled on a pretty regular style of worship music. We have great sound texts here. But I know for some, it's too loud. I know for some, it's too quiet. Can you believe that? Yeah. Uh, for some, the songs are too new. For some, any song recorded before 2010, is they think is a hymn. And <laughs> that's not where I want you to amen, Derek. There's other parts. I'll, I'll cue you. Uh, <laughs> some of you would never listen to this type of music on your own. And I got to say, like, the music doesn't suit me to a T. My worship music would be 
closer to like Radiohead meets Run the Jewels or something. I don't know. It probably doesn't suit Glenn to a T. He makes compromises based on what he believes is, is best for the church collectively. But it should matter if it suits you to a T because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's a, oh, there's an amen. It's about what we give God through it. It's about using whatever limited time we have, 20, 25 minutes for worship through music, or perhaps the Lord's Supper or the reading of scripture or times of silence and reflection or uh, the use of a visual image or symbol or an open mic congregational response. That's the time to give God his worth and his honor from your heart. In fact, let me just say something that's going to sound more spicy than it really is. But if you cannot worship with us, uh, not because the style doesn't fit you to a T, but because you find it so egregious, you just want to fold your arms or, or scroll your phone, please find a church where you can worship. And not because we don't want you here, but it's just too important. Corporate worship is too important for you to just delete that from your faith experience. And, and we may change as well. The people who love our style today may not love it so much five years from now. I don't know. Glenn may not always be here. The majority style may change. I like what Steve has said in the past. Steve Briggs has said, you know, like, if I love the style of worship, uh, Glenn's doing something wrong because it's not really meant for the 65-year-old demographic. And he has decided that what is what is best for the greater good, he, he will worship in. It's interesting even how a lot of Gen Zs, younger millennials are moving away from the big modern worship experience into something uh, often smaller, liturgical even. So whatever the style, would we be able to set aside our preferences and give honor and glory to God in that type of setting? I've decided, and it's been a decision, to be able to worship anywhere. I preached at a small Alberta church this summer where all the songs were played at the exact same tempo as the, uh, you know, dun, 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 dun. and they knew one speed and one beat. And the worship leader was trying to do new songs, but with an old 80s vibrato, uh, the lion and the lamb. And the lyrics were always one slide behind and the mix really accentuated the shrillness of the voices. And I decided to worship anyways. And it was so good to worship with these small town folks who you think I didn't have anything in common with, except that we had everything in common because we were all children of the King worshiping the same God in his universal church, giving him glory. So if you're going to be a worshiper, you, you need to participate. Now, here's the second thing. When you worship, Jesus says to do it in spirit and in truth. Right from John 4, chapter 23, Jesus declared, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What, what Jesus is saying here is critical. What matters most in worship is who we worship, and who we are as worshipers. To, to worship in truth, 
just means that when we worship God, we really worship God as he really is, as he is in scripture, not some false idea of God or some substitute for God, some warped understanding of God. It's why the words of our songs matter. It's why sometimes we have deleted songs that, uh, you know, maybe espoused confusing or bad or misleading theology. Um, Very few of you will remember a sermon. Most of you will remember a song. Songs matter. And so to worship in spirit is, is to worship authentically. We worship in truth and in spirit. We worship with our heart, a real act of, of sincere, genuine response. In other words, to participate in the act of worship with intentionality and authenticity. Let me just quickly tell you what I mean. I take singing, for example. Singing is probably the number one way in expressing worship to God that is found in Scripture. Do you know that there are 41 different psalms in the Bible that encourage us to sing to God? It, it has to be more than a tune. It has to be more than just about a, a good song. When we use music to worship to God, what we're doing is taking the words to that song and we're making them our own words. Music can express for us how we feel and what we want to say. I like how it's put in the 100th Psalm. Just take a look. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Could we do that now? Just that we could raise a hallelujah through singing. And, and you, feel, you feel insecure about your voice? God loves it. He loves the sound of your voice. Let's stand together and sing. I'll raise a hallelujah In the presence of my enemies I'll raise a hallelujah It feels like we, we want to give a, a shout to the Lord. On the count of three, would you just shout the name of Jesus, the name higher than any other name? One, two, three. Jesus! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Please be seated. And this will be the last section. But before I give the impression that worship is just singing, you know, there are many other acts of worship in scripture. The Bible says that giving an offering is considered an act of worship. It doesn't matter if you give online or through your bank. Um, According to scripture, this is an act of worship to God, a tangible way of saying, thank you, God, for providing. Thank you for being trustworthy. Thank you for using what I have to change the world. Thank you for the privilege I have to worship um, through, through all that you've blessed me with. There's so many other acts that are meant to be infused with meaning. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, dedications are our serving, our acts of ministry. And uh, sometimes they are contemplative things, things done in silence and meditation, things that if you, if you looked at someone, you'd never be able to tell that there was actually some deep worship going on. That's why we should never judge people on who the worshipers are and who they aren't based on just external clues. Some, some are more wired to have their 
intellect engaged, to sit in quiet contemplation and worship that way. I remember interviewing uh, Ed Leto right on this stage when I first got here years ago and, and listening to some of his practices wherein he would, in quiet, often out in nature, uh, just think on the attributes of God, meditate on the attributes of God. What does it mean that God is not just loving, but that he is love incarnate? God is love. What does it mean to serve a perfectly righteous and holy God? Um, that all his thoughts and actions are good and just and perfect. Uh, what does the eternalness of God, the, the uncaused first cause, the alpha and omega, the, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. And so for Ed and for Steve and for others who, who worship in this way. I just want to affirm that. Uh, perhaps some of us even need to grow in our contemplative worship. You can't always tell from the actions of folks who the worshipers in spirit and truth are. Uh, I'll, I'll even say that I've been at big worship gatherings where I just get a nudge in my spirit that someone who looks like a very expressive worshiper may in fact be doing it for show for the sake of others, for the approval of people. There's something inauthentic about it. I will say this though, by and large, worship is largely a demonstrative act, a, a verb, something that we do, something we step out in, often something that we physically engage in. It's, it's, it's something more than just theoretical or theological. Um, look at what it says in the 28th Psalm, for instance. I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. Psalm 88, I spread out my hands to you. In the, in the book of Nehemiah, it says, the people all stood up. All the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We, we are physical creatures and we tend to express ourselves physically. And there's all kinds of postures of worship, um, not in a way that makes it about us, but in a, it comes from an authentic expression of worship and those who worship in spirit and in truth. And God is so honored by that. I, I, I'll close with this and then we'll respond. And I think it's a, a story of a song that really sums up everything I want to share with you today. It's about the story behind, I think, one of the first widely sung modern worship songs. If you were in church 20 years ago, you absolutely sang this song. But, but let me read the words from the pastor of this British church where this song was birthed. Uh, it's a guy I got to hear speak in Toronto, Mike Pilavachi. Uh, he's had a string of worship leaders, Matt Redman, Tim Hughes, Ben Canelon, like they, they develop great leaders uh, in their church. And uh, here's what he says. At first, it was difficult to put our finger on the problem. On the surface, everything was just fine. The musicians were tuning their instruments and the sound men were getting out of bed on time. Each service contained a block of songs that focused on the cross and gave people the chance to get down to business with God. Yet we seem to have lost the spark. We seem to be going through the motions 
And I noticed that although we were singing the songs, our hearts were far from him. Was it Matt Redman's fault? He wasn't singing any more off notes than usual. Then one day it clicked. We had become connoisseurs of worship instead of participants of it. In our hearts, we were giving the worship team grades on a scale from one to 10. Oh, not that song again. I can't hear the bass. I like the way she sings that better. We had made the band the performers of worship and ourselves the audience. We had forgotten that we are all the performers of worship and that God is the audience. We had forgotten that sacrifice is central to biblical worship. We are called to all bring our sacrifice of praise. We were challenged to ask ourselves individually, when I come through the door of the church, what am I bringing as my contribution to worship? The truth came to us. Worship is not a spectator sport. It is not a product modeled by the taste of the consumers. It is not about what we can get out of it. It is all about God. And so we needed to take drastic action. For a while, in order to truly learn this lesson, we banned the band. We banned the band. We just sat around in circles, said that if no one brought a sacrifice of praise, we would spend the meeting in silence. And at the beginning, that's sort of what we did. It was a very awkward process. We were learning again not to rely on the music. And after a while, we began to have some very sweet times of worship. We all began to bring our prayers, our readings, our prophecies, our thanksgivings, our praises, and our songs. Someone would start a song a cappella, and we would all join in. Then someone else would take it on to another song. The excitement came back. We were not having church. We were once again meeting with God. With all the comfort stripped away, we worshiped from the heart. And when we had learned our lesson, we brought the band back. And it was at this point that Matt Redman began to sing the song he had written out of this whole experience. And I wept as we sang it for the first time. The words expressed exactly what was going on. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. So I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to a heart of worship because it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry for the thing that I made it because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Let's respond and stand together. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. Longing just to bring Something that's of worth That will bless your heart 
worship be just solely for you, about you, to you. King of endless worth, our worth-ship is all for you, Jesus. May we be known as a worshiping church. Maybe we're not the church, you know, doing Jericho marches and swinging from the chandelier, but we would be a church who worships in spirit and in truth. And we'd be a dangerous church, dangerous for this unseen world that we're doing battle with. May we be light in a dark place as we sing your praises, because you're worthy of it, Lord. Amen. Amen. You are such a loved people. I hope you feel it. I hope you know it. Thank you for watching church. Thank you for coming to church. More important than that, let's go be the church. God bless you.